Acts chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea along the east coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and we put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salamis. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lazia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Calda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, and then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. And yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. He said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand, against, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, and so they took a sounding, found twenty fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again, and they found fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down the anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. 
And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough they, to lighten the ship, they throwing out their to lighten the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time, loosing the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard uh, first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Acts chapter 27. Join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you thank you for the word. We thank you for this account of how you brought Paul and, and all the members of the ship safely through the storm. Father, that's what we want to know. That's what we need to know. How can we get through the storms that life sends to us? How can we manage? How can we endure? How can we find our way when, when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm? God, give us your wisdom today. Help us to see your truth. Speak to us so that we will know how to walk with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you once again to Riverside. It's so good to have you, have you all here, and uh, so good to see all of you. Um, it's, not a, uh, it's not a secret that we go through storms in life, right? <laughs> um, sometimes we act like it is, because when a, when a struggle, when a trial, when a difficulty, when a storm comes along, uh, we're just shocked and appalled, right? <laughs> we, uh, we, we just can't fathom how this could possibly happen to us. And yet, what we see in Scripture over and over again is, is Jesus essentially warning us against that, that very fact. I read a, a book by Tim Keller on, uh, on walking with God through pain and suffering, and one of the things that he talks about in the opening of the book is that Western culture is particularly ill-equipped to deal with suffering. Uh, for most of, most of human history, cultures have understood that suffering is a part of life, that, um, uh, that, that we go through difficulty and it's, and it's just part of the, the human existence on this planet. But, uh, but in our Western culture, we've gotten so good at, at, at building uh, ways of protecting ourselves and comforting ourselves and purchasing insurance, and we do all these things that we think that if we can just do them, that no harm will come to us. But but sadly, most of us in here have experienced that that's not the reality, right? <laughs> that we've gone through some storms. And so, uh, so I have three points that I want to share with you through this. Um, and they're pretty simple. Uh, it's not rocket science this morning. <laughs> Number one, as you follow Jesus, the storms will come. There's going to be storms in your life. Lots of pastors say it, right? Either you've been through a storm, you're in a storm, or you're headed into a storm. I don't know who said it first. Um, lots have said it. It's pretty true, right? Um, Jesus said in John 16, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then just a little bit later in John 17, 13, he says to the Father, but now I am coming to you, 
And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Does anybody ever wish that Jesus would have prayed that he would take us out of the world? (laughs) Some days you have those days where you're like, man, I wish Jesus wouldn't have prayed to the Father not to take me out of the world. I pray, I wish he would have prayed like, Father, take them, right? They can't handle it. It's too much, right? He says, hey, when you come to walk with me, you're no longer of the world, and the world is going to reject you. The world is going to push against you. The world is not going to understand you. The world is going to give you trouble. But he said, take heart, because I've overcome the world, right? And so, so the key is not to find the, the exit strategy. It's not to find the escape hatch. Jesus put us here for a reason, and he put us here for a season, and when he's ready, he'll call us to be with him. But in the time that he's given us here, he has things that he wants and desires for us to do. And so the, the trick is not just to figure out how to get out of the storm, but it's how to thrive within the storm, right? In 1 Peter, we, we did a whole sermon series on 1 Peter a little while back. In 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, that's two passages in a row that talked about suffering and trials, and it talked about joy. And so clearly, there's something that God wants to communicate to us about how we can have joy, how we can rejoice in the midst of really difficult situations. And, and, and trust me, this is not about putting a plastic uh, Christian smile on your face, right? It's not about just becoming numb to the world and just not caring and, and just, uh, just, just being... Um, disconnected. It's, uh, we should mourn when, when, when difficult things happen, when bad things happen. We, we should feel it. In fact, Jesus was incredibly emotional, right? Jesus wept. He drew near to people. Uh, he took the risk of, 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 of engaging with people at the, at the risk of rejection. Jesus was never distant. In the movies, they always like kind of, he's got this faraway look in his eyes, and he's always kind of walking like, right? <laughs> But that's not what the Bible depicts. The Bible depicts somebody who walked in and stared right at people and looked them in the eyes. He connected with people. He wasn't, he wasn't like this, this kind of walking zombie, right? He was, he was the most human, the most personal person to ever walk the earth. As you follow Jesus, storms are going to come. And so the first question that we just have to wrestle with this morning is, you know, are we shocked when our trials come? And, and, and sometimes we should be shocked, right? Sometimes there's some really difficult things. I know people in this room are going through some really difficult things, and so I don't minimize that in any way. But, but sometimes what happens is that the amount um, that a trial impacts our life is in direct proportion to the weight that we give to it. Let me say that again. The, the, the amount that a, a trial impacts our life is in direct proportion to the weight that we give to it. Another word that we use for weight in, in Scripture is this idea of glory. Glory is when you, when you give something weight, when it, when it carries a lot of weight in your life. And so the, the cliche thing to think about is to think about the middle school romance, right? That when the middle school romance comes to an end, uh, you know, it's, it's just heartbreak, it's tears on the pillow, it's like, I can't go on, I'm going to wear, you know, I'm going to wear just sweatpants for days. And, right? Um, because in their, in their life, in that moment, that's the most significant thing that could possibly exist in their life. But, but their parents and the people that love them come alongside them and say, hey, I know it hurts, I know it's hard, but, 
But trust me, there's going to come a day when, when you'll be able to look at this with perspective and know that it, this too shall pass, right? In fact, I, uh, I thank God that he didn't give me what I prayed for when I was in middle school, right? <laughs> the, oh, why won't, she, why won't she go out on a date with me, right? And then like years later, you're like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you. And she might be praying the same thing about me, right? So to be fair. But God gives us perspective over time sometimes. Um, but a lot of times what happens in these moments is that it's an idol identification moment. When you reach that point of despair, when you reach that moment where you're just like, I don't know if I can go on, this, uh, this, it's identified that there's something that is so big and so rooted in your heart that it's sitting in the place that God deserves. And so it feels like you're dying, and it feels like you can't go on, and it feels like your life is, is meaningless and purposeless, but, but really the problem is, is that you've given all the weight, all the glory to an idol that, that, that can't bear the weight. And idols can be good things. They can be praiseworthy things. It can be, it can be our children. It can be our family. It can be our job. Um, it could be lesser things as well, right? It could be things that we know are bad for us, but we go after them anyways. But anything that we put in the position of God cannot bear that weight. And so when it crumbles, we crumble with it. There's a, there's a Bible story uh, I want to get a lot in today, and so I don't have time to go into this in detail, but the story of Naaman is a good one to read, right? Naaman was an enemy uh, general of an enemy army. He had leprosy, and so he had all these accomplishments. He was, he was rich, he was accomplished, but he had leprosy, and he had, uh, he had raided uh, into Israel and taken a Hebrew slave girl, and she was in his household, and she said, hey, there's a prophet in Israel that could heal you. And so he parades his way there. He goes before the king. The king's freaking out, like, I don't know what to do for you. Uh, and Elisha finally calls him and says, send him to my house. He goes to Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even walk out the door to say anything to him. He just sends a servant and says, hey, just go tell him to bathe himself seven times in the river, and he'll be cured. And when Naaman hears this, he's angry because his whole life, his whole structure of who he is is built on honor. <laughs> it's built on significance. It's built on prestige. And now this, this servant, this, uh, this Hebrew servant, this, uh, this prophet, he won't even come to the door and speak to him. And so he gathers his things and he runs off and he's leaving and he's angry and, and everything is devastated. And one of his servants comes with wisdom and says, listen, master, you've been through so much. You've done so much. You've traveled so far. If he's saying to bathe in the Jordan, like, why? Maybe it's worth a shot. <laughs> we all need those people in our life, right? When we get triggered and we just kind of go off and kind of lose it, you need that person that's going to come and say, hey, look, look, I, I understand. I know everything you've been for. I know you. I care for you. But maybe it's worth a shot. <laughs> you've tried it all these other ways. Maybe, maybe try it the way God's saying to do it. What, what, could you, what could have hurt? So spoiler alert, Naaman goes and bathes, and, and he's cured of his leprosy, right? But he had to let go of that moment of pride. So the storms come. We're going to come into storms, but the second thing that I want you to see here is that, that you don't have to enter every storm. You don't have to enter every storm that comes along, and we see this depicted in verse 9, right? Uh, chapter 27, verse 9, Paul says this. He said, it says, since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. So this was the fall feasts. Uh, it would have been like September, October, and so by November, it's like not safe to passage on the sea. And so uh, it's right around the same time of year that we're in right now. And in fact, we just had a nor'easter this weekend, right? So it's like it's all God is really working this for my sermon. Um, so you guys are experiencing this, right? 
He says, the feast is already over. Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. The centurion gave more weight to the opinion of these other men than he gave to Paul. Paul was giving him good advice. He was right. He could have been spared from the storm. The ship could have been saved. The cargo could have been saved. By God's grace, the crew was saved, right? But, but he chose to enter into a storm that he didn't have to go into. And it was because he listened to those who were motivated by a desire for profit and personal gain. Who are the people that are speaking into your life? Who are the people that are, are guiding and advising you? Who are the people that are saying like, hey, here's what you should do. And do you know what motivates them? Do you know what it is that's driving the decisions that they want to make? Yeah, the, the captain of the ship, he wanted to go because he wanted to get paid, right? And the, the owner of the ship, it was loaded up with grain from Egypt that they were taking to the Roman Empire, and there was a huge payday at the other end of it. Uh, it's kind of like, do you guys ever watch that show Gold Rush on Discovery Channel? Anybody watch that, right? I, I, I invested three seasons into that show expecting somebody to finally find some gold, right? <laughs> They never find any gold. I mean, they find it, but it's never enough, right? It's, um, but they're just driven by this greed of like, oh my goodness, like I, one of these days I'm just going to strike it rich. Uh, I won't go there with the Powerball thing, right? <laughs> People are highly motivated about what could I do with, with a, a billion dollars, right? Who are the people that you're listening to? Who are you paying attention to? And what are their motivations? Because here's the reality. Life is full of risk. Every, every decision we make is some sort of, we're navigating through some sort of risk. There's risk in everything. Every choice that you make, even to choose not to make a choice, is taking on risk, right? So, so there's always risk. And so what we're doing is we're comparing, is the risk worth the potential reward? Is what I'm risking worth what I might lose? The ship captain and, and, and the ship owner said, hey, what I, I might lose the ship, I might use, lose the cargo, and I might lose all these men but it's worth it if I can get the payday at the other end of it. Paul says, hey, I, I'm on trial for my life, and so if it's all the same to you, I'd rather just stay here until the weather gets a little bit better uh, to go along, right? Like the, the risk, are the risks worth the reward? And what happened with these guys? Sometimes God uses a storm, once again, to remove those idols. We talked about sometimes it's an idol that the storm crushes, and that crushes us, sometimes that's very intentional by God, right? This crew was driven by, by greed, by a desire for gain, and so God allowed that storm to come, and very quickly into the storm, three days in, they're just chucking everything overboard, right? All of a sudden, the, this cargo that they were willing to risk their lives for, the ship, none of that mattered. If they could get out alive, that's all that they cared about anymore, and so God stripped that idol out of their heart. That's hard. If you've been through that, if you've walked through that, that is not a pleasant experience to have, to have that stripped away. But sometimes it's by God's grace that he does that. Let me show you an example of that. Um, there's another story about a, a boat and a storm, and it's with the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. And if you know this, uh, the, the, this account, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. The Lord said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of our greatest enemy, and I want you to proclaim my word there. And Jonah said, nope, I'm going the other way, right? And so he got on a boat going the opposite direction. 
And as he was going along, it says that the Lord sent a storm against it. That Jonah didn't have to enter into that storm. He could have obeyed the Lord. He could have went and did what God called him to do. But he chose disobedience, and in so doing, he chose the storm. I want you to take a moment and honestly think about in your life, are, are there, can you see the storm clouds on the horizon? Is it red sky at morning for you in your life right now? Are there things that you're on the verge of, that you're considering, that you've been edging towards, that are going to be an unnecessary, devastating storm in your life? If so, heed Paul's words today. Sirs, I perceive there is much danger. We should wait. We should turn back. We should take a different route. I would encourage you in that same way that, that God... He wants you to make the right choices. He wants you to make choices that are going to prosper you and not harm you. And so if he's revealing that to you this morning, I would encourage you to take action. So storms are going to come. We don't have to enter into every storm. By God's wisdom, we can choose to avoid certain storms. But the third one, and this is the most significant, who you are in the midst of the storm reveals your true identity. Who you are in the midst of the storm reveals your true identity, right? It's, it's these storms in life, when we go through them, that our real character comes to the surface. That we begin to see and others begin to see what we really believe and who we really are. Look at, look at verse 21, Acts 27, 21. It says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Now I would stop right there. Right? <laughs> Hey, you should have listened to me. I told you so. This is your problem, right? Peace out, right? But uh, that's not what Paul does. He doesn't just want to rub their face in it self-righteously, and we'll see here that his heart was for them. He says, yet now I urge you to take heart. Hey, you made the wrong choice. You didn't listen to me, but guess what? I'm urging you now. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. I'm urging you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Even though they didn't listen to his warning, he still cares for their well-being. And, and it's apparent that he's been praying for them, right? Because what does the angels say? The angels say, God has granted these men to you. You've been praying not only for yourself, selfishly, that, that God would bring you through the storm, but you've been praying for the whole crew. You've been praying that, that they would be saved, and God has heard your prayer. And because you've prayed for them, he's going to honor them. He, he's going to save every life on this ship. The thing about storms is they tend to, to drive us into a selfish focus, right? In the middle of a storm, all we can do is look down, right? We kind of hunker down, and we're not thinking about others around us. We're not thinking about the things that we could be doing to help. I mean, think about it. Paul's a prisoner. He's not part of the crew. <laughs> He's not the captain of the ship. He's not an honored and respected guest. He's a prisoner in chains. And yet in the moment of trial, he stands up as a leader, and he says, hey, I want you to take heart because I've talked to the God that I serve, the God that I worship, and he's told me that you're all going to live. 
right? He's, he's not just thinking about himself. He didn't try and rewrite God's script for him. And, and I think about that encounter with the angel must have been interesting, right? The angel appears before him, and Paul was probably super psyched, right, <laughs> in the middle of the storm. And, uh, and he's like, hey, Paul, good news. You're going to survive this because you've got to stand before Caesar. Paul's like, yes, thank you, Lord. He's like, but <laughs> the ship is going to wreck. <laughs> You're, none of this is going to survive, but all the people are going to survive. So it's kind of good news, bad news, good news, right? <laughs> and I can imagine if I was Paul, I might have said, hey, hey, listen, angel, that is so awesome. Um, but, you know, I heard how Jesus just like basically made the storm just stop. So that's a possibility, right? Like you could, you could do that. In fact, one time when they were going across the lake, all of a sudden they were miraculously just on the other side and they were on land, <laughs> right? Or, or, you know, at the very least, you know, I kind of like being in the boat as opposed to out of the boat. So maybe you could just make the boat, right? Like, isn't this what we do with God? Not only do we pray about our need, we pray about our storm, but we offer him some really great ideas of how he could solve it, right? Like, God, I got a lot of problems, but I, if my numbers come up on this Powerball ticket, I'm pretty sure they could all be solved, right? I wouldn't have to worry about those things anymore. And so uh, if you're willing to receive it, this is a good suggestion of how you could fix this. God, if you, if you, if you do this, if you, uh, God, I'm good how I am, but if you change my spouse, I'm sure that all of our marital problems will be much better, right? We offer suggestions to God about how we think he should solve it. And Paul, in his wisdom, it has joy, right? He goes to him and he's like, hey, guys, <laughs> it's been 14 days. We haven't eaten anything. We've been in a storm. How are you guys doing? You want to get some bread? Like, <laughs> he's able to have joy in the midst of the circumstance. And so one of the things that I've learned over time is that I, I used to pray a lot about God changing my circumstances. God, change this circumstance. Change this person's heart. Change this. Change my bank account. Change my job. Change, you know, change. change. Um, but what I've learned is even when the circumstances do change, my discontentment remains, right? Sometimes for a season it gets better. But a new problem is always waiting to kind of take its place. And so what I find myself praying a lot more now is, God, make me the kind of person that can, can rejoice even in the midst of this. Even if nothing changes, even if this is what it is, teach me how to, 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 to find joy and satisfaction. Teach me how to have a thankful heart. Teach me how you might be able to use me even in the midst of this. God, I'm, I'm a prisoner on a ship in the, in the middle of a hurricane but God, is there some way you could use me to glorify your name in the midst of this? Man, those are great prayers. We can trust that, that God, God hears those prayers and that he would desire to answer them. I don't have time to go into it, but I would encourage you this week to, to read the book of Jonah. It's really short. You can check it off your list of like, hey, I read a book of the Bible this week. Um, and you could probably do it in about 15 minutes. When Jonah's storm comes along, he's essentially the opposite of Paul. He's hiding below deck, sleeping, all the, all the, the, the non-Hebrew pagan sailors are praying and calling out to their gods and doing everything they can. And they come down to him and like, dude, what are you doing? Like, pray to your God. Who's your God? Pray to him. And they have to come to the prophet and tell the prophet he should be praying. And he comes up. He doesn't say anything. They cast lots. They figure out that he's the one that caused the problem. And they came to him and like, dude, what's your deal? What, how did you bring this upon us? And ultimately what he says is, hey, I serve the God of the Hebrews and um, he's mad at me because I didn't listen to him. And they're like, all right, what should we do? And then he's like, throw me overboard. He could have said, hey, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I'm going to see if, if maybe if we turn this boat around and head back towards Nineveh, maybe 
Maybe God will relent. He didn't, his heart didn't jump to repentance and turning. His heart ju- jumped to, well, God might as well just kill me. <laughs> he jumped to judgment, right? Now, God used this whole encounter, this storm, not only to change Jonah's heart. If you know, he gets down into the belly of the whale, and then God, uh, he, he prays this awesome par- prayer of repentance. God sends him to Nineveh. He does what God tells him to do. Then he gets mad and he has to pray to repent again, right? <laughs> kind of like how we do, right, over and over again. But the other thing that's awesome is all the sailors on this ship, after they see what God does, they went through the storm and God used the storm to bring them into a relationship with him. At the end of the account of the sailors, they're sacrificing to God, they're, they're making vows before him, and they're worshiping the true God. He used that storm to change and transform them. Christians are meant to be a blessing to those around them. Paul encourages, he comforts, he leads, he corrects, and ultimately he is the reason for their survival. As a follower of Jesus, how are you being used as a blessing to those around you? How are you using your favor and blessing for the benefit of others? I wish I had like another hour to unpack all this, right? Like there's so many ways right now. One of the things that we've been entering into here in the church is a discussion on on racial reconciliation. How do we How do we find ourselves united across ethnic and racial divisions by the gospel? How does that bring us together and make us one? We recognize entering into that conversation, there's some risk uh, because, because racism has a spiritual component to it, right? It's a spiritual stronghold that exists in our communities, in our nation. And as we begin to fight against that, we expect that there will be resistance. But it's a risk that's worth taking. The result on the other end of it is worth the risk that we have to take to do it. Um, I get the opportunity to speak on a couple of panels this week. We're having our uh, uh, over 300 churches, our Pennsylvania South Jersey Baptist Convention is meeting out in York, Pennsylvania, my hometown. What up, York? Um, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm speaking on two different panels that are talking about this issue of reconciliation and, and um and I feel like I'm just below the tip of the iceberg. I'm just learning, but, but I have an opportunity to go. And I, I would invite you guys and welcome you to pray for me in that because, uh, trust me, I grew up in York. So, so I know what attitudes are like, you know, there. And attitudes are like everywhere, right? Um, and so, so we want to pursue unity. There's, there's so many ways. There's a, in case you didn't know, there's an election coming up in about, about nine days, right? How can you as a Christian use your voice to be a voice of reason? To, to be a voice of unity, to listen to a person who, who also maybe expresses a faith in Jesus who is saying things that are completely opposite to you instead of condemning them and judging them and coming at them, maybe seek to have a real conversation with them. Maybe say, hey, listen, I genuinely want to understand like, why, why your beliefs are so much different than mine. Help me to understand. Man, that would go a long way. There's another storm in the Bible, and I'll conclude with this. I'll invite the band to come into place. Uh, there's another stormy journey recorded in Scripture, and Jesus was on the boat that time. I referenced it earlier. He was on with his disciples. A storm came up. Just like Jonah, Jesus was sleeping down below, and, and, and just like the sailors, they assumed, hey, Jesus, don't you care? But they had walked with Jesus. They knew that Jesus cared for them. And so Jesus stood up, and he went up, and he told the wind and waves to cease, and they stopped. Jesus' true character was revealed in the middle of the storm. <laughs> And it frightened his disciples to see who Jesus really was, the incredible all and power that Jesus has. And that wasn't the only storm that he faced. 
He faced many storms throughout his time in his ministry, and it, and it was all because he weighed the risk, and, and it was never because of personal sin. It was never because of idolatry. It was because that he took on the risk of confronting the Pharisees because he wanted to break the spirit of religious idolatry that existed in the people of Israel. Ultimately, he looked at the odds, and he knew that there was a 100% chance of him dying on the cross when he came to earth, and yet he came anyways, willingly taking that on for you and for me. Who Jesus was in the midst of the storm demonstrated his true identity. He told the storm to stop, and it ceased. He had ultimate power over all things, and when the storm of crucifixion came, he had the power to make it stop. Yet he chose to allow that storm. He willingly gave his life when he had the power at any moment to choose otherwise. That's his character. That's the character of the one who promises to never leave you or forsake you. That's the power of the one who promises that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. If he is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, you're going to enter into storms, but you're not going to enter them alone. Jesus is with you in the storm. He loves you. He cares for you. He sees what's happening. And if you let it, the storm can drive you closer to him. It can be an opportunity to rest completely in him and nothing else. Every storm is an opportunity to see the character of our Savior revealed in your own life and situation.